Hello, everyone. I just wanted to take a second to tell you about Alice Living's podcast, Give Me Strength. It focuses on the importance of building mental and physical resilience and how this can empower you to live a happier, stronger life. Alice chats to a range of experts, celebrities, and even some of her closest friends to get the tips and tricks on what keeps them strong through some of life's biggest challenges. Search Give Me Strength wherever you get your podcasts from and join Alice on her fascinating journey. Hello and welcome to It Can't Just Be Me. Now, before we get stuck in, I'm going to start with a big thank you. I've had so many people who've told me they're loving the show so far, genuinely. So to all of you listeners and those of you who've trusted us with your dilemmas, honestly, thank you. We can't do this show without you. So if you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us. Click follow wherever you're listening. Obviously leave us a five-star rating and review. And of course, tell all your friends about us on social media. It all helps. Now, on to today's show. Our dilemma today is all about managing anxiety as a parent. And that big question, how can we make sure we don't pass our anxiety onto our kids? It's a worrying thought, but one that I think is really important to face head on. So let's get into it. Hi, Anna. Hey, Anna. Hey, Anna. Hi, Anna. Hey, Anna. Hi, Anna. Hi, Anna. Hi, Anna. It can't just be me who's really struggling with staying faithful. I definitely got menopause brain. I really want children, and he doesn't. I have feelings of jealousy. It's just all around the middle. I feel like a Teletubby. And then I hated myself for feeling that way. If you've got any advice. I would really appreciate any advice. It can't just be me. It can't just be me, right? Now I'm joined today by the funny, fabulous and almost fearless comedian Susie Ruffle. Susie's success includes five sellout runs at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and she's also a constant on all the big shows like Live at the Apollo, The Jonathan Ross Show and The Last Leg. She's also a mother, wife and host of at least two podcasts, including Like-Minded Friends with Tom Allen and the LGBTQI series Out. But one of the big themes in Susie's work is her battle with anxiety and the associated insomnia of waking up in the middle of the night with what she likes to call her 3am press conferences when you just can't turn off your brain. Do you know what, Susie? I hear you. So as a professional worrier and parent, who better than to tackle today's dilemma? I want to give you all a quick heads up here because today's episode does touch on the subject of suicide. So please bear that in mind when you're deciding when and how to listen. We'll leave some useful resources in the show notes. Susie Ruffle, the woman with the best name in comedy. Welcome (laughs) to It Can't Just Be Me. Where does your name come from, do you know? I think maybe France, but we're long, long residents of Portsmouth. No one has really left. I'm sort of the only one that's gone. Everyone's a bit like suspicious of the fact so, that I've gone somewhere. So you else. guys really were the intriguing people from France, the Raffels. Well, potentially, I think more likely, like we stayed away on a boat. Oh, like, well, I maybe think so. robbed it on the way. A bit more rough and tumble than like some French aristocrats. So the the Raffels. Uh, well, listen, I'm so pleased that you could join us in the studio today, and I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on today's dilemma, mm. which is a goodie. Yes. But before we get into that, I start every episode by asking my guest to share their very own "It Can't Just Be Me" dilemma. So, what have you got, Raphael? I was thinking, Anna, and I don't know if you feel the same as me, but. I thought that by the time I got to 37, I would have had this sort of thing organised in my head. But it can't just be me 
who cares too much about what people think. I was sold a story in my 20s that by the time I was mid-30s, I would have it sorted. And let me tell you, Anna, I haven't. Okay, I can tell you the exact age that oh, you stopped. Oh, great. Ca- yeah, 80. 80? Okay. 8-0. That doesn't feel good. I know. It's not good. That's, right. the, that's the bad side. Right. But the good side is that towards the very, very end of your life, you stop caring. <laughs> I know this because my mother's told me. Oh, really? Yeah. She's about to hit 18. She's now like, I don't give a shit. So that's official. I mean, you how couldn't have given me worse news. <laughs> how many at, at, at years have you got then? I'm shit at maths. So oh, 30- that's 43 years more of me thinking, do they like me? I hope they like me. No. I think I made a good impression. So I hope so. You've got another 43 years of okay, um, deep anxiety. Wicked. Okay, good. It's great to be here. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> um, I am so pleased that you felt comfortable enough to share the fact that you have a deep anxiety mm-hmm. and that you're worried about what people think about you. And you've got another 43 years to go. Yeah. You'll be thrilled to know that you're not just stuck with me for the next hour because we're also graced by the presence of our resident psychotherapist, Sam Pennells-Encolo. Hello, Hello. Sam. Hello. Pleasure to be here as always. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Can I just check with you? Do you think it'd be 43 years of more? No, it could be tomorrow. You never know. Oh, come See, on. This you is what know. I was looking for. This is what I was looking for. You never know. She's lying. <laughs> She's not allowed to lie. She's a psychotherapist. Exactly. They all lie. They all lie. (laughs) Um, Now listen, you guys, Susie, Sam, are we ready for this week's dilemma? I am ready. Now, Amy sent this one in via email, so I'll be reading it out. You can take your headphones off, Susie. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, if you want to send in your own dilemma, you can go to itcantjustbeme.co.uk and record a voice note, or you can do what Amy did and email us at itcantjustbeme at podimo.com. Okay, so here's the dilemma. Hi, Anna. I've always been a worrier, and at times in my life, I think it's held me back from certain things. But I've generally been able to keep it in check, and I've managed to build a good career as a secondary school teacher and a fairly good social life, etc. Since having a toddler, though, I feel like my anxiety has gone into overdrive. Friends of mine say that they feel stronger than ever after becoming a mum, but I feel the opposite. I found myself worrying about the things that didn't bother me before. I worry about her safety a lot, especially when she isn't with me. And my husband says he thinks I'm overprotective of her. All I want is to raise a strong, fearless daughter who's able to enjoy life to the full without being too cautious. But I can already see some of my habits rubbing off on her. She'll tell other kids to be careful in the playground and it takes a lot of encouragement for her to try out new things. How can I manage my anxiety and make sure she doesn't take on too much of it? This is a really difficult one. So Susie, what is your knee-jerk reaction to that uh sympathy I really sympathize with that so I have a daughter she's a toddler and I sort of want to wrap her up in cotton wool but my wife is very much like go to the top of the climbing frame throw yourself off it you'll survive and it'll be good for you I've always been an anxious person and I really feel like when I became a mum a lot of things I thought I had put to bed as an adult with my anxiety sort of reared up again, like the health anxiety of being like, oh God, is she okay? Is everything okay? I'm going to go and check her again. I'm going to check that she's breathing Mm. when they're very little. You know, I'm going to go and have an extra look. Mm. And if I don't check, well, then I haven't checked, then I should go and check because what about if something was wrong? And then you're in the vicious cycle. Okay. And I don't know. And I feel, feel like the only way to get out of it is by like trusting yourself and going, I have checked. And now I know that she's fine. 
And so now I must trust that I have checked, but it's quite hard. I, I can totally relate to those feelings manifesting and feeling quite overwhelming. Well, let me ask both of you. So Sam and Susie, because I'm not a mum, but mm-hmm. you're both mums. Have you noticed your own anxieties reflected back at you in your children? I mean, Sam, you've got a pained expression and, <laughs> and nodding. Yeah, because it's quite frightening when that happens, when you see yourself and your anxiety manifests in them and the mm. way they speak to you. So sometimes my sons will say things that I've clearly said to them in the tone of voice that I've said to them. And I'm really shocked. Things like, be careful of walking in the garden. There might be a tiny bit of glass that you cut yourself on and then we have to take you to it. Like it's catastrophizing, essentially. And that my son's very close in age and they'll be talking to each other like that. Really? And I've realised, oh my God, that's me. And what about your husband? Is he anxious? In, Annoyingly in relaxed. He's just like, you know, they'll be fine. It's okay, which is very unhelpful when you're feeling anxious. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and so for you, Susie, are you seeing your anxiety reflected back at you in your daughter? I'm trying not to. I'm really trying not to because I'm very scared of spiders. And I'm really trying not to be like, ah, there's a spider. So my wife's like, if I react, she'll be like, it's fine to have spiders in the house, isn't it, Mama? And I'm like, yes, it is. It's <laughs> it is. great, actually. I invited them here. We're having a party. Here, have a hat. But there have been times when you hear, I've heard her saying things to the cat, where she's like, be careful. <laughs> careful on the stairs to the cat. Oh, my God. Um, which I is, love her. Yeah, which is gorgeous. Oh. Yeah, I think that there's an extra thing that we probably should mention. Because I think as well, what Amy's maybe not giving herself a bit of a break about is the fact that she was probably pregnant for part of COVID. Certainly the tail end of it, if she's now got a toddler. And like, I think that for health anxiety, a worldwide pandemic, I think, changed all of us in some way or another. And I think bringing a child into the world during that time as well. Yeah, like I I really relate to that. I think that's fascinating that, as you say, that perhaps for Amy, she was pregnant in lockdown. Mm. And so for all of us, our health anxiety just went bananas, didn't it? So coming out of that, she might be worse than perhaps she might be otherwise. Mm, Totally. Sam, um, research at Manchester University has found that one in four children in the UK has a mum with a mental illness, including anxiety. So this must be something that you see fairly often in your clients with children. Tell me a little bit more about that. Do they come in and talk about their own health anxieties or their own mental health issues and how it might be affecting their children? I mean, yeah, but it's interesting. Women tend to do it more than men. So again, this is another, you know, and it's one of my bugbears. Typically, men will present as being more relaxed, not across the board, but women will always say, I feel so anxious. I'm so anxious. And now my child's going to be anxious. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe. And I'm not a fan of labels. You know, what's the anxiety trying to tell you? What are you trying to tell yourself? Because actually, it's quite healthy to be anxious. It's okay. We're not supposed to be rid of it. But it's just this idea of what do we want to present to our children or not present? Mm-hmm. What kind of energy and atmosphere do we want to have in the house? And I always say to everyone, it's like, in the round, is your child having a good experience? Most of the time they are, you know, but we really hyper-focus on these moments of stress and anxiousness and are quite unkind to ourselves. And I think, in the round, is it going okay? Most people say yes. And again, it's that catastrophic thinking of, I'm so anxious. But are you? Mm. So it's really looking at, what does that actually mean when we say that? Um, Really interested to hear that it's mainly women who are saying, 
I'm struggling with anxiety and I'm really worried about my children. Mm -hmm. Why might that be? Is there a difference in, in the genders? Well, this is a difficult one because I think it's nature, nurture, it's context, it's societal. Mm. Men are bred to be like, I'm really relaxed, you know, even if they're not. But there is something, again, the research shows in terms of how boys relate, how girls relate, the type of play that they have. And that's not to say that girls just sit and read and boys throw themselves off trees. Mm. It's just this idea of how they use their bodies, their physicality, and how that presents with mums, dads, and how we relate, like managing risk. Okay, if they're at the top of a climbing frame, how do we feel when they're doing that? Typically, children will hurt themselves when we're anxious because they're learning to manage the risk. And if we're going, oh, my God, then they kind of go, oh, my God, and they might hurt themselves. So how do you manage this in your household, Susie? Because in an all-female household, and if we're hearing that from a societal point of view, from a gender point of view, that perhaps women tend to be a little bit more overprotective. Well, I think that I sort of fall into that category. My partner, Alice, she's a bit stricter but she's also more gregarious, whereas I would be a bit more worried. But it is something that I've been very mindful of because my mum's quite anxious and my nan's quite anxious, though we never had that language when I was growing up. It was everyone was a worrier. Oh, they worry. that We all worry. We're not happy unless we're worrying. Like That was sort of like the mantra of the family. And now I'm very aware that I don't want to give her that narrative that I had you know, it wasn't in a negative way at all. I had a lovely childhood, but that narrative of we're worriers, that's Mm. what we do. We all worry. Don't worry about it. We worry. We're Mm. all worriers. I want her to feel a bit more in charge of it than I did as a teenager. I'm going to ask you both a little bit more about that because just thinking back to my own parenting, my mum definitely has suffered her whole life with various, I'd say, anxiety disorders. Very sadly, her mother took her own life when she was a teenager. So I think that trauma for my mum has clearly stamped her emotionally for the rest of her life. And that then got bled down to us, really, as children. And my dad had lots of sort of control issues, which again crept down to his children. And it's certainly something that I've picked up on because I'm quite an anxious person. Does that ring true for the two of you? I mean, Susie, you said that your mum and your nan were very anxious. What about on your dad's side? No, my dad's like, everything will be all right. It's all all right. He's a real geezer bloke. Everything's all right. You know that meme of that cartoon dog and there's fire all around it and the dog speech bubble's like, everything's fine. That's sort of my dad in a way. Like, things go wrong for my dad quite a lot. He's been bankrupt a couple of times. He's had businesses. He's lost businesses. He was actually brilliant. When I was starting out in stand-up, if I fucked up, if I did something wrong or what, he's always like, don't worry. Like, get yourself off. I Don't love set off. him for Keep that. going, keep going, keep going. Like, you know, anything that's worth getting to will take a long time. You've got to deal with the knocks. That is what life's about. Life's about the journey. Like, he's very good at being like that, whereas mum will be like, oh, God, don't tell me. Just don't tell me. Don't tell me where you're driving to. Don't tell me where you're gigging. So you've clearly got the anxiety from your mum, the, yeah. worry, the worrying. But what about your dad? Because, I mean, that must have played out in the fact you're a very successful comedian. I think that's down to him going for stuff and not being embarrassed to go for stuff and failing and being okay with failing. He'll be like, oh, I've done things wrong a hundred times. Don't worry. That's such that. a positive it really message is. to yeah. get from, from a parent, isn't yes. it? That, like, just go for it, babe. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that I try and be more like that when I'm overthinking things. Yeah. Which is sort of a natural place for me to fall. But then, as you say, you, you've still got your mum and your nan in your ear yeah, going, oh, this like, is going to go wrong. This is a, this is a yeah, worry. Yeah, or like, oh, oh, God. That's my mum's noise constantly when she's with my daughter. Oh, 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 she's, oh, oh, I wouldn't let her do that. Oh, right. Oh, God. Oh, she's, 
oh, she's really brave, you know, and you'd be like, do you want to just stop with the constant sort of narration? It's adorable. And it's, you know, it really comes from a place of love. But I don't want that to be the narrative. Yeah. Because I think that may be fed in unintentionally from a place of love. Absolutely. And so what about for you, Sam? How did your parents affect you in terms of your attitude? (laughs) My mum and dad are very different. And similarly, my mum does that with my boys. Oh, my God. Where's, 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 oh, no, don't do that. Every minute, it's kind of micromanagement, which she did with me, Uh which I do now with them. And I'm trying to undo that. Whereas my dad was just like, yeah, it'll all be fine. I have taken on my mum's ways of being, I suppose. And I can really see it when we're together. Because I, it's like it's hyper. And I think we do this when our parents are around or figures of attachment, we tend to become, I'm like on overdrive when she's around. I'm a bit more relaxed when she's not, not in a horrible way, but just because I'm sort of trying to manage everything. And are you the same as me in that you like don't want her to worry? Yes. So then you're so like then you're managing, managing everyone. Yeah. And then really managing no one. Yeah, of course. Because because more then, stress. And then people are like, what's up with her? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's crazy. How much do kids sense when their parents are anxious, even though as a parent you're trying to mask it? I don't think we can hide it. I think it's that idea of the more we're trying to pretend, on some level, the worse it is. I think it's a sense, it's an energy, it's an atmosphere. And I think I've said it before on here, often when you ask clients, do you remember your childhood? If they've had a particularly traumatic childhood, they'll often say, I can't remember. Mm. And then if I ask, can you remember the atmosphere? Can you remember the feeling? They Mm. remember that. So if you think of the energy of what the house is like, the atmosphere, that's what children remember. They Mm. don't remember the little details, but that's what they're picking up on. Is it worth saying something like, oh, I feel a bit worried about that, but let's do it anyway? I think so. Right. I think being honest as much as you can be. Like naming that feeling for you. Yeah, mummy's feeling really frightened or angry right now. Mm. I'm just going to take a moment rather than trying to pretend because they seem to feed off that. If you then name it for a parent, how much will that child then want to fix it for? Because I was very conscious when I was growing up. My dad was really stressed out. My mum was very unhappy. Mm. And so is her only daughter. I wanted to fix that. That made me very anxious as a child, that I wanted both my parents to be okay. So if we're saying, mummy's just sad right now, is that going to actually make your children more anxious? I mean, I think it's a hard question. Parents will often talk to me about this sort of thing, and it's this idea of, well, we have to look at what's right for us as people. Mm. And if you can say, mummy's really sad, but own that, it's not for you to worry about. Mummy will sort it out because it's mummy's feelings, like you had feelings, and sometimes you get sad and mummy can't fix that. So you're Mm. modelling this sort of healthy attachment to your own feelings and your own stress and theirs, because often we try to save and fix them. And what we're trying to do is build resilience so when we're not there, they can manage themselves. Yes. Mm. So I think modelling that, yes, I'm angry, yes, I'm sad, yes, I'm happy, yes, I'm joyful, all those things, but they are mine and those are yours. And that's really sacred in a way, rather than trying to fix it. I think that that's really good advice, isn't it? As you say, modelling how you want your child to be by saying these are my feelings and I will fix it and this is how I'm going to do it so that the child then feels safer, Yeah, I guess, within it. So how much power do we actually have in shaping our children? I'm saying this because I'm conscious of the fact that Amy says that her own anxiety held her back from doing some things in life and it's clear that she doesn't want her daughter to feel the same way. So how much do we influence and shape our kids? Well, it's interesting because it's this idea of projecting ourselves onto our children. 
and knowing, well, what's me and what's them? And often people talk about not knowing the difference. So my stress or my anxiety or my worry is mine. The worry of my daughter or my son might turn out into that is my worry. It's not their worry. So it's Mm. our own projection of our own fear onto them. Similarly, when parents want their kids to do really well, that sort of Mm. achievement-based, you're going to do amazingly. How does that manifest? That's all about the parent. That's not actually about the child. So it's about separating the two, which can be quite hard. Well, also, because thinking back to Amy's dilemma here, she's talking about her daughter in the playground and she's Mm -hmm. being very cautious in the playground. Maybe that's just her personality. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it isn't Amy creating this stress for her daughter. Do you think as parents, we've just got to allow our children to develop their own little personality? I mean, Susie, what do you think? Well, I think that there's actually probably a nicer way that Amy could spin this in that her child's being really caring to the other children. Maybe a nicer way to frame it for her could be, that's what I do when I'm caring for her. And now my little girl is caring for other people in the playground. And actually, that's a really kind trait to say to people, be careful. You're so right about not putting anything onto them. I mean, that's what we're trying to do is just sort of have to let them be. Sam's the one that we need to be asking about this. This is just a comedian's bloody opinion who's trying to like put the jigsaw pieces together of getting it right. I think it's hard because as a parent, I can say one thing and as a therapist, I can say another. So I know when I'm saying to clients, you know, we must try this and we must do that. And it's really helpful to do this. I'm saying it to myself as well, because Mm. actually when you're in it as a human, it's very hard to do. It's not just this binary thing. It's so hard when you're in it to separate your own emotions from Mm -hmm. your child. Mm. That idea of, well, you've put your love and care into something. And then if they don't turn out in a way that you want them to, something Mm. goes on for us. What am I not doing well enough? Then it becomes about us. And is it about, I mean, going back to my initial Thing about caring too much what other people think is another yeah. thing that we're worried about are people's yeah. responses in the playground when in fact just going oh yeah they're like that sometimes that's a really good point because that judgment you get from other adults and parents must be huge yeah yeah that's very difficult i think to manage do, yes. do you get that susie do you feel that i mean we've had bizarre encounters with people who we don't know where, like, a woman in a cafe said to me, oh, so who does all the dad stuff? And I was like... Oh, no, come on. Seriously? Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay. And I was like, oh, we just we just try our best to make sure she's happy. And the woman didn't know what to say. People have asked, like, really inappropriate questions. Like, she's got blonde hair and blue eyes, and she looks sort of different to me. And someone said to me, did you use the, the sperm bank in Denmark? Because she sort of looks a bit Danish. And I was like, I don't know you. It was like 9.26. I was like, I'm not going to talk about, like, Come. <laughs> We're not yeah. about Until at least 9.30. Yeah. Like, how dare you think that it's okay? We live in Brighton, so it's like a very queer-friendly place. But I think that if we lived somewhere where we were the only gays in the village, there might be a more of a performance element to it where I wanted people to think that we were doing a good job if they didn't know any other gay families. Mm. It feels like there's a weird sort of pressure of being like, we're doing it just as well as everyone else. We're trying our best. And so I think that that's an extra thing that's sort of thrown in. I was just going to say, so that's an extra thing for you as a gay couple that you're Mm. like, you know, I now feel that extra pressure that I've got to live up to the sort of heteronormative ideas of parenting. Okay, look, let's talk about the fact that in your situations, there are two people parenting and in Amy's situation as well. So Amy's husband thinks that she's overprotective of her daughter And clearly, they've got different approaches when it comes to parenting. So, Susie, I'm just thinking about you and your anxiety and your mum and your nan and how you've sort of learnt that. How does your wife manage your anxiety at home? Oh, we're quite direct with each other, which I think is really useful. Okay. 
And I also have therapy, which I'm very pro doing. But Alice, my wife, would be like, I think this is maybe something that you're overthinking. Like she'll be like, where's the truth of this? So like your anxiety is one thing and then what's like the truth? And does that work for you then? Is that what yeah. you need to hear from your partner is, look, yeah. it's okay? It's- yeah, kind of. Like it's okay and now we're done with that. Like she wouldn't be super into like reassuring me about it all the time. She'd be like, we've spoken about that. Alice is like my anchor. She's got her shit together and she's very, she's like a proper grown up, she says, as a 37 year old woman. But I think that's the thing. I think about working out like where the truth of the anxiety is. And then where the like spiraling begins. It's that, you know, catastrophizing. Yeah, like finding some space from the catastrophizing. And Sam, what could Amy's husband do, do you think, to help her situation? Because he thinks that she's overprotective as a mum. So, you know, I'm concerned about how much that might be a critical voice. I suppose it's that idea of reframing. And it's like Susie said, instead of saying overprotective, we could be saying, you know, you really care about her safety. And I don't mean that to sound patronising, but it's this idea of we can find ways of looking at this that's a reframe and a technique, and it's a real surface technique for everyone that they can use with their partners and their kids, is instead of saying, like, be careful, we say, we stay safe on the roads. So we're always Mm. keeping it on the sort of positive and moving forwards. Same with our partners. Instead of saying you're a real grump, it could be like, actually, it'd be helpful in the morning if you tried to at least pretend to it be happy to see me. So it's about that reframing of language (laughs) rather than being, you know. But it's just this idea of like being really clear and positive and moving forward rather than, because anxiety is all fear-based. It's fear-driven. It's worry-driven. So when we turn the language around, it turns the feeling around. It's not the other way around. We're all waiting to feel different and then be different. We need to be different, then we'll feel different. Let's move on to some concrete advice. And not only for Susie, although Alice sounds like she's got it absolutely sorted, but also Uh for Amy. So Amy's in that horrible catch-22 of being anxious about being anxious, which is horrible. Mm. So in terms of concrete steps on how to resolve some of that, what could she do right away, Sam? I think one of the biggest things about anxiety is all about the fear of the future. What if this happens? What is happening? And usually it's nothing. Mm, So what is happening? Am I okay right now? And it's a very simple technique, but it does work. Am I okay right this second? Yes. Okay. Life happens in small moments, whereas anxiety usually is projected quite far into the future. They're going to drown. They're going to this. They're going to this. Okay. Is anything happening now? Mm. So I'd say to root herself back into this second, which is actually quite hard. So keep coming back. I'm okay now. She's okay now. We're okay now. That's it. What about longer term? As her daughter starts to grow up, what can she do to try and manage her own anxieties so that she's not projecting that onto her daughter, would you say? I would really say it's about looking at our own dysfunction, our own dysfunctional childhoods, which we've all had dysfunctional childhoods on some level because we're just human. People make mistakes. What is about that situation that is making me feel like this? Our triggers are always about us. Our children just heighten them, just like our partners do, just like relationships do. So when we're worried about something, we have to ask ourselves, what is this actually about for me? And also a good question to ask ourselves is, what's going on for me, for me right now? So when we have an argument with our partners, when we're worried about our children, it's actually about us. Look at your own childhood, look at your own development, look at your own parents. Mm. It's all of that, but that's quite hard work to do. I mean, obviously I'm going to say this, go to therapy. But, um, you know, I think it's important because it's very hard to do by yourself. Absolutely. I mean, it's impossible to do by yourself, really. So Susie, with with that in mind, what are you going to do to help manage your anxieties with your little one? You mentioned that you're having therapy. Is there anything else? Do you know what? For me, I've realised that I need time where I'm not working and I'm not parenting. And I know not everyone has that luxury. But 
going to like a couple of yoga classes a week are actually game changing for me. Or like, you know, we're lucky we live in Brighton, so we're right by the sea. But just like having a brisk walk, even for like 20 minutes, it's so simplistic. And this is just me. But I find if I'm feeling a bit low or I'm feeling quite anxious, if I go for a walk with some upbeat music, it can really turn my day around. So it's that moment of self-care then you're talking yeah. about, where it's like, actually, rather than being with my wife and my daughter, rather than being worried about work, it's just me mm. spending half an hour on my own doing something that I really enjoy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you find that calms you down. Massively. Or like, again, it's sort of cliche things, but like an early night, a good night's sleep, getting in bed at half nine, reading for half an hour and having the light off at 10. That can be like game changing to how anxious I am. And Thank- not having a drink. I love a drink. I love a glass of wine. But having four nights a week where I don't, that's really, really this is fascinating for for me to hear, actually, because I'm just sort of ticking off the things. Mm. You know, Sam, you know all about this anyway, because it's fight, flight or freeze, isn't Mm -hmm. it? It's how you do your anxiety. We all do it differently. I do two things. I'll either fight and get very kind Mm. of like antsy about it and worried and grumpy about stuff, or... I'll flee, I'll flight. So if things get overwhelming for me, I will go and take myself off into the middle of nowhere in the countryside where I'm very fortunate. I've got a little cottage Mm. up north and I'll go and be in nature and that will sort me out. So Susie, you're saying for you, don't drink too much, Mm -hmm. an early night and some time on your own. And do you know what? I think another thing that's really important for me is not to berate myself about it. So good self-talk. Yeah, because there have been times when I've been like, oh God, of course this is happening to me. Of course I'm anxious. Of course this, of course that. And that's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy because then you're telling yourself, I'm such an anxious person. I'm really struggling. Of course I'm struggling because I always struggle. And this is how it's always been for me. Whereas with my therapist, I remember her saying to me once, yeah, but your anxiety is sort of part of what makes you you. I've written stand-up about my anxiety and loads of people relate to it. And it's very normal. Like there are very few people that are going through the world feeling nothing about big, important parts of their life. It's quite normal. And so that's an extra thing I'd like to add, the not being too mean on myself. Well, the kind self-care mm, exactly. is important. But I guess what's interesting about what you're saying there as well is you've turned your anxiety into success, <laughs> which which is a great way of reframing. It's like you were saying, Sam, it's reframing, isn't it? Going, actually, I'm a really anxious person. Let's do something with this and let's make this successful. Let's make it public. Let's talk about it, mm. which is a very clever thing to do. Amy. If you're listening, thank you for sending in your dilemma. I really hope that you can take something useful from this conversation. Don't be too hard on yourself, Ames. It, that's it. I was just going to say, above all, <laughs> give yourself a break. Parenting. I bet you're smashing it, babe. Well, it sounds like it. I your parenting is incredibly it. hard and you're never going to get it right all the time. And just ask my mum, Janet, she'll tell you that. <laughs> She's still going on about it at 80. So... In the meantime, thank you to my lovely guests today, Susie Ruffle and Sam Pennells and Colo. You've both been amazing and thank you for being so open as well, Susie. You're so wonderful that I'm not going to let you go just oh, great. yet. Yeah, I know, you're staying. Okay, I've got fine. a couple more quick-fire dilemmas for you. Yes, please. Get those headphones on. I'm popping them on. Now, we actually recorded these at an event that we did with the Postcards from Midlife podcast at the London Podcast Show. And what I'm looking for here is knee-jerk advice. Oh. Yeah. So the first dilemma is from Abby, and she has a question about her boyfriend, who she's been with for four and a half months. Hi, Anna. My name's Abby. I'm just wondering if I should be worried that my boyfriend is friends with his ex from about 10 years ago. <gasps> yes, uh, Susie Ruffle, hand up. What no, not at all. Don't be worried at all. Exactly. I'm friends with. I'm really good friends with one of my exes. And I think, actually... 
they're friends and there's nothing there, it actually means he's probably a really good guy. A hundred percent. So I'm really good friends with both my exes as well and they're family to me and I love them and I wouldn't have it any other way. So I'm saying don't be worried at all about the fact that your bloke is friends with his ex. What would you say, Sam? I would agree. We can't micromanage our partner's relationships as well. As soon as we start doing that, it's a road to disaster. Have you ever had a partner that's tried to micromanage your friendship with your ex? The worst. I know, right? Or like with your friends in general. That's like, that's red flag time. Out of interest, what would you say to Abby? And I don't know whether she is, but if she were trying to micromanage her other half, what would you say to her? There's just no point. There's no point in doing that. It wastes energy. Often people say, you know, with this kind of dilemma, I'm worried they're going to cheat on me with Mm. them. But if they're going to cheat on you, they're going to cheat on you anyway. With (laughs) them, with someone else, with there's just no point. It just makes us more anxious. Mm. And it's easier said than done, but we have to try to let it go. If they're going to have friendships, relationships, whatever that looks like, we cannot micromanage it. We just have to manage ourselves. And I guess if it's being done with respect as well, if your partner's saying, listen, I'm friends with my ex, there's nothing going on, I'm putting you front and centre in our relationship, you've got to trust me, then ultimately they have just got to let it go, haven't they? Mm -hmm. And just trust that person. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you very much, gang. Okay, the next one is from Steph. Hi, Anna. My name is Steph and I'm in my mid-40s. My dilemma is with my 14-year-old son who doesn't understand the value of money. And I'm trying to work out how much is it acceptable to spend on him when I also really want to save so that I can retire early and go off into the sunset on my own without my 14-year-old. Okay, the pair of you are looking fairly nonplussed by this one. So we know that parents are caring for their kids for years longer than they used to. So should Steph kick her son out at 18, sell up and travel the world, Susie? That feels a bit extreme. (laughs) But I do think knowing the value of money is very important. I think that when you get to 14, 15, I don't know what the law is these days. When I was 14, I was waitressing, you know, and I used to quite like having my own money. Portsmouth got a top shop. And sort oh of the early God, noughties. I mean, the, the fact that I could like work for two days and then go in there and be like, I'm going to get a pair of jeans and a dressy top. And the fact that it was my money, it felt brilliant. It feels great to earn your own money. What are you saying about this, Sam? This is a difficult one. It's so difficult because they just don't get it for a long time. They don't understand it. It just doesn't make sense to them. I mean, mine are very small at the moment, but I'll say you know, they want to go to the corner shop. It's like, I want a nice lolly. It's like, no, please, can I have a nice lolly first? Yeah. And then it's like, well, how much? And it's like, well, how much? They, don't, they start maths quite early. So it's like, literally, okay, we sit down and we'll read for a bit and you get 10p. And after that 10p, you can go and get your ice lolly. And they start to kind of see this exchange of, okay, I do this, I get that. I work essentially for it. And as they get older, you continue that. It's not free. I think it's powerful for for parents to say, we can't have that because mummy or daddy don't have money. We don't have it. Haven't been to work yet. They don't quite understand it. But if you keep saying it and modelling, soon enough, they get it. So are we saying that for Steph, she's got to model what kind of adult she wants her son to be, right? It's very difficult because if they don't understand it, I think a hard line needs to be drawn. But it's a painful because it's a battle and children will go on and on and on. And the easy route is to go, okay, have it. You know, we've all been there, but Mm. we know how that goes. So it's about really staying strong in your own boundary because it's so much more than just about money. Mm. It's about labour. It's about time. And they don't get that when they're little, you know, time means nothing. I'm just going to push this a little bit more because you're right, it's something to be mindful of. But Steph is saying here that she's in her mid-40s and ultimately she wants to be able to save so that she can retire early and go off into the sunset. How much should parents 
be selfish? How much should parents put themselves first? It's so hard. Let's go to the expert, not me. It's so <laughs> hard. I'm also staring at Sarah. I would say it's so important. And again, I say this to all my clients. You must be selfish. You must be healthily selfish. Gas mask on your own face. What do you need? And in terms of children, from my experience, if children know they're held in mind first, that we put them first in terms of we love them, we're always thinking about them, then I think it's fine. As long as children know they are loved and they are held in mind first, they're okay. I love that. I think that's a perfect bit of advice that, you know, I may not have the financial means at the moment to give you exactly what it is you want, but you are held in mind first. You're loved. And that's what counts. Yeah. Susie and Sam, this has been such a pleasure. Susie, thank oh. you so much for coming on. I to feel like I've learned so much from Sam. I know, right? And it's you, and Angela. Oh. <laughs> it was then it was lovely to meet you. Uh, <laughs> I can leave you here with Sam. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Susie, we'll leave all of your information in these show notes, including your podcast out, which I believe I'm going to be guesting on. Yes, very soon. soon. And of course, Sam from the yeah. London Practice, thank you once again. We literally can't get enough of you. It literally is my pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be back next week with the next episode of It Can't Just Be Me. And if you're looking for something to fill your time with before then, please go to itcantjustbeme.co.uk and tell me all about your dilemma in a voice note, or you can email them to itcantjustbeme at podomo.com. Whatever you're dealing with, whether it's love, sex, families, friend trouble, or anything in between, I want to hear from you. Nothing is off limits. Because do you know what? It really isn't just you. From Podimo and Mags, this has been It Can't Just Be Me, hosted by me, Anna Richardson. The producer is Alice Homewood, with support from Laura Williams. The executive producer for Mags Creative is James Norman Fife. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. Don't forget to follow the show or to listen ad-free, subscribe to Podomo UK on Apple Podcasts. 